All right, before we begin today, pour one out for the College of Charleston home win streak. All good things must come to an end, and unfortunately, after 22 games, nearly two full years on the calendar, the Cougs' home win streak ended on Thursday in painful fashion to the Drexel Dragons. This one might be on me. I may or may not have jinxed us when I went on to the Dragons Cast podcast to preview the game. They asked what my prediction was. I was feeling a little confident given a 22-game home win streak that may or may not have affected things. Don't cry because it's over. Cry because of how it happened. But hey, the Cougars took an L and they bounced back. They salvaged the homestand by taking down Delaware two days later. And to talk about both those games, as well as some other stuff, my guest this week is Andrew Miller. Andrew covers the Cougs for the Post and Courier. I'm sure you have followed him on Twitter, during games. If you follow CFC Basketball, you've read his recaps, his previews. He just had a nice feature story on Brevin Galloway that you may have seen. He's coming up soon, but before that, remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Make sure you make your way over to holycityhoops.com. Read what we have going up on the blog. Big week for the Cougars this week, so be sure to read our previews of the Hofstra and Northeastern games, as well as our recaps once those finish. Lots to discuss today, though. Here's me and Andrew Miller on the Holy City Hoops podcast. Andrew Miller is on the line. What's going on, Andrew? How are you? I'm doing great, Tommy. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for uh, taking the time to do this. Happy to be here. When you walk into a room, are you ever like, it's Miller time? <laughs> no, uh... A lot of people make jokes about that, or they're asking what my favorite beer is, but no, uh, I, I, I like that. Actually, I, I like Blue Moon. That's my favorite beer, so no. Mm-hmm. So you can't take advantage of that. <laughs> I can't take it. I wish I could. I wish I'd, I, I probably should do it more often, but uh, no, I, I do not do it as, maybe as much as I should. <laughs> uh, well, I wanted to start with this, just because of the timing of, of when you're coming on. Football season just wrapped up. Clemson is in my neck of the woods, visiting the White House. So I wanted to get from you, because you cover the sports scene in Charleston as much as, as anyone does, where would you rank CFC basketball in sort of the sports hierarchy of the city? Between high school, football, college, battery, stingrays, all of that. Well, I, I think it, it, it fluctuates. And obviously, the, the, the one thing, the common denominator that's going to bring, bring people and eyeballs to either to the arena or to the newspaper or television or whatever you want to talk about. I, I think winning is kind of that common denominator. I think when you win, there are going to be more people and more eyeballs on your product, whatever that product may be. Uh, just taking all things being equal, uh, you know, I think college football continues to rule in the South and, and will continue to rule in the South for the foreseeable future. I mean, when I, I was born in Chicago, but we moved to North Carolina when I was 10 years old, and um, I've pretty much grown up in the South. And there were no professional sports teams to cheer for, um, you know, in, in our area. So I gravitated, like I think a lot of people, to college sports. And I think that is true in, in Charleston as well. So I think Clemson and South Carolina, uh, their college football is always going to be kind of the king of the hill at the top of the of the heap, as they say, but there have been, there have been times when the college of Charleston, I, I think has come in second. Um, I think, mm-hmm. uh, Citadel football, I think they, they have, they have become more popular than Citadel football 
when they have been winning. And obviously last year and the year before that, when Earl Grant was getting them around the NCAA tournament and getting them to the CAA tournament finals and the Colonial Athletic Association tournament was in town. I think that, that you know, increases their profile citywide and, and, and throughout the low country. But, you know, when they're not winning, I, I think they're probably on par with, with the Stingrays, on par with uh, the Charleston Battery. I think the Charleston River Dogs, just because it's baseball, it's a professional team, I, I think it helps that they're uh, affiliated with the New York Yankees now. I think mm-hmm. kind of is always going to be a little bit, of, a little bit above uh, the college when, when they're not winning. Um, and But that's more... Like, I don't think there are more River Dog fans. I, I don't think there are very many River Dog fans. I just think people like to go to Riley Park because it's such a great venue and you, the scenery around there is fantastic. And, you know, in, in the summer, you know, you want to go watch a baseball game. So I think that's why they draw incredibly well. And, and, and those guys over there do a fantastic job of marketing their product and their team. I, I think that really helps them out uh, a lot. But, you know, if the college is winning, and like they are now, and like they have been for the last couple of years, you know, I, I think when you look in the stands at TD Arena, you don't see, at least I don't see, a ton of what I would call College of Charleston alumni. I see a lot of downtown people who want to go to watch very good uh, college basketball, which I think that product the last three seasons has been excellent for the College of Charleston. So, you know, there, there's a lot of what I would call blue blood uh, Charlestonians that like to come to TD Arena because it's a really nice arena. There's not a bad seat in the joint uh, and watch a good brand of college basketball. So I think that's kind of where they rank in, in the Charleston hierarchy and as far as sports go. Well, that's good to hear as an alum that they can draw in, you know, more than just other alumni or associated people with the school. That's great. I mean, I think I've seen the difference at least last year to this year. I definitely saw the crowds at North Charleston Coliseum last year, which was a great sign to, to have 8,000 on hand for, for the championship game. So that's great to hear. But um, speaking of winning, I thought we could start with uh, a lack of winning, which happened on Thursday, unfortunately. 22-game home win streak snapped to the Drexel Dragons' first home CAA game of the year. What were your takeaways from that game? Well, I, I think that was a game where they got a little bit too comfortable with themselves. Um, you know, they they got out to a, a double-digit lead. They were able to kind of slowly build this double-digit lead, and they looked like they were in total control of the game. And then, uh, you know, a couple plays, a couple missed shots, a uh, couple missed plays, some free throws, and, and, and then, you know, people are always going to point to that last – uh, the, the last play by Troy Harper when he's kind of, you know, running down the court trying to tie the game. He shot and they award him the three-point, you know, a, th- a three-point uh, shot, I mean, three-point, three, three free throws because they uh, deemed that he was taking a three-point shot. Was he taking a three-point shot? No, I don't think he was taking a three-point shot. However, I do think that was the correct call because, you know, the kid is a, he's a veteran. I mean, he's played four years uh, of college basketball. And as soon as he got tripped, he started uh, the in the act of shooting. He started the shooting motion. motion. Yeah. So I think that kind of forced the referee's hands to call that a three-shot foul. And I agreed. Uh, do I think he was shooting the minute he got tripped? No. I, I think he was just trying to get as close to the basket as he could and and really shoot a layup or get it. You know, like I said, get in the lane and 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 either draw contact, draw a foul, or or or, or get to the front of the rim as close as he could, and just put up a shot. Um, but the way, you know, again, savvy kid, smart kid. I talked to him after the game for a while. You know, as soon as he got tripped, as soon as Jarrell Brantley tripped him, 
he started in the acting, and yeah, and and that's that's a good veteran move, smart move by a smart player. And I agreed in the post game uh, post game comments by Earl Grant that they should have never gotten into that position. There were plenty exactly chances for the College of Charleston to put that game away much earlier than they did, and they didn't. And hopefully that is, you know, for them, that's a lesson learned by them that, you know, no matter what you're doing or how, you know, if you got a six, eight point lead, that's always in jeopardy. That, that That's a couple of three point shots away from being a, a tie game or a one possession game as it was. And you got to hit your free throws down the stretch. And that is one th- reason. And I tweeted this out uh, during, I think, in the latter stages of the game, that this is one of those moments where they really miss Joe Chile, um, not just mm-hmm. scoring and not just for his leadership. But the one thing that Joe would do, and he did it over the last two years of his career, is in those final couple of minutes, he would knock down free throws. I don't know what his free throw percentage was in the final two or three minutes of, of games during his career, but I bet it was 80 90%. I, yeah, yeah, I was going to say up in the 80s or yeah, 90s. High 80s, low 90s. I mean, he was almost automatic. When the game was on the line and he and you needed a couple of free throws, that was the kid that was going to get you those free throws. And, and that's not to say that Marquise Pointer is not a great player. He is. Grant Rilla, great player. He is. Jarrell Brantley, great player. He is. But there's just so something about Joe in those last few minutes of, of games where he would just kind of come through for you and he was able to knock down shots when you really needed them and really needed to put some distance between you and the other team. But I liked Earl's you know comments afterwards. And, I, and, I, and I've always been a proponent of this throughout my writing career, which is now stretching into three decades. One play does not cost you a game because I could point out mm-hmm. a half a dozen other plays throughout the game that cost you the game. So one call, one call is not going to cost you a game. That 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 call by those officials in that situation did not cost the College of Charleston the game. Missed free throws cost them the game. Turning the ball over at the end of the game cost them the game. You know, uh, poor execution on the offensive end cost them the game. That's what cost them the game more than that, those three free throws. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I don't have an issue with the foul call at the end. I know that got a lot, a lot of attention. I have an issue with the miscues that led up to the team putting themselves in that position where a ref's call that could go either way decides the game. And, you know, I think the reason a lot of Charleston fans left the arena feeling sick to their stomach after that was this is a veteran team now, right? This is one of the oldest teams that, that Coach Grant has had. This is a championship defending team now. You hope you don't see things like missed free throws down the stretch, turnovers, you know, Jarrell Brantley travels uh, on on an important play of the game, bad shot selection. Grant Riller takes two fadeaway threes. Neither one goes down. Uh, Things like that. Those those types of mistakes are what you hope you don't see. And to to see Charleston kind of let their foot off the gas a little bit against a team that, you know, credit to Drexel. I mean, they were giving 100% that entire game, whether they were down 11 or down one. But the team should know these types of things by now, that every CAA team is a test, and you need to bring it every night. So that's what I was disappointed in. But like you said, hopefully it's something that galvanized the team. Um, the question I had for you was, you're around this team a lot. What do you think the locker room was like after that loss? Because Coach Grant's usually pretty composed, but that was a particularly painful loss yeah yeah and i I agree i I think the james madison loss didn't bother me as much it's a road team and it's a yeah it's a road game uh james madison is a much improved team from from a year ago not that the college shouldn't beat them should beat them um 
but I wasn't as concerned about that. They played well in the second half. They just they just came out and they were a little lackluster in the first half. And James Madison shot the ball extremely well. And that sometimes that's just going to happen. I mean, the other team's just going to shoot well, and no matter kind of what you do, their shot's going to be falling for you. Um, so I, I I don't think I just think they they viewed that as a hiccup. But now two in a row, and, and then to have the game at home, a game that you control. Uh, that one I'm sure stung them a little bit more. And, and, you know, it was a little bit longer for guys to get out of the locker room and get to the media room. And they were a lot bomber after, after the Drexel loss than they were when, you know, I was able to get in contact with them after the James Madison loss. So, you know, again, they just kind of viewed that as, you know, that's going to happen. You're going to have a night like that where you're not going to shoot well. And the other team's going to shoot well. We do need to play better defense. That was kind of the message there. We need to, have a full 60 uh, 60. Yeah. I do that all the time. Cause I cover hockey a uh, full 40 minute defensive effort. And uh, they didn't get it at James Madison. And, and, and you'd hope they'd learn their lesson from that. And obviously they, you know, obviously they didn't against Drexel. And again, you, as you pointed out, you don't want to put yourself in the position where a referee's call is going to determine the outcome of a game. You don't want to, mm-hmm. especially when you're Charleston. And I think the thing that this team's still kind of dealing with is figuring out, how to be the hunted because they have been the hunter for so long in this league, trying to climb that ladder, trying to get to the top of the CAA to try to be the champions and get back the NCAA tournament. And now that they've beaten everybody and and everyone's kind of after them, it's, it's a totally different mindset that you have to have. And I'm not sure that this team yet has figured it out. I thought Delaware was a good step forward for them. Uh, I thought a much better performance by them. And, and I think, you know, guys like Jarrell Brantley, see the problem with somebody like Grant real great player, great score. He's a quiet guy. He doesn't say a whole lot. And, and, and right. that sometimes can be an issue because he's your leading scorer. Uh, Marquise pointer certainly fills that role very nicely. And Jarrell obviously fills that role very nicely, but losing again, Joe. And, and, and I've always said this, Cam Johnson is yeah. a guy that people just don't, Oh, well, he only scored 10 or 11 points a game. When Jarrell Brantley and, and people who who watch Jarrell and I, I love him. I mean, I just I I love that kid kid a ton. Just his enthusiasm, his intensity, his you know his attention to detail. The way that he's improved his overall game is just off the charts for me. But there are times when when he, you know the, the uh, and he's gotten way better, way better from his freshman year to now. When calls don't go his way or something doesn't go his way, and he and he has this kind of facial expression where he obviously is upset with the call or upset with the sequence of events, whatever they might be. And I think he got, kind of got down on himself. Um, mm-hmm. And I would see Joe Cheely come up and say something to him. And you could see kind of him roll his, not roll his eyes, but he was listening, but he wasn't really listening, you know? But if Cam Johnson got in his face, I guarantee you, Darrell was, was front and center. He was listening to every word that Cam Johnson said. And that's the kind of respect. That's interesting. Yeah, that's the kind of respect that Cam had on that team last year was his ability to get in guys' faces and and let them know that this is what you need to do, you know, to help our team win. And and that's that that they don't have that guy this year. Marquise is the closest guy that they had, and I just don't think he's as verbal. And that's nothing not a knock against Marquise at all. That's just not not who he is and what he is. He's a guy who's going to go out make big plays for you and, and last, anybody who doesn't think that he doesn't make big plays all you gotta do is just turn on the caa championship game against northeastern and, and watch them oh yeah those final minutes oh, yeah. in, in, in regulation and overtime i mean that's all you gotta know about that guy that guy's a winner yeah so it, it was actually a pretty good 
offensive performance from the Cougs in that game, which is a shame that they lost. I mean, they score 78. Nick Harris has a nice game, 13 and 6. Brevin Galloway has 17. Uh, kind of carried the Cougs there in, in the second half. They only had eight turnovers. But, uh, you know, Drexel gets to the line a bunch, 20 times, out-rebounds the Cougs by 33 to 30. And unfortunately, like we said, uh, a play at the end uh, determines things. But um, five, five guys in double figures. And you think, wow, that's really bound scoring. And I really, yeah, that's really good. That, you know, you want to, you, you don't want anyone to be able to key on just one guy. What, what I learned about this team against VCU in that game on the road up in Richmond, and this is just an opinion and, and like everyone has one, I'm sure Earl Grant would totally disagree with me. But I think this College of Charleston team is at their best when Grant Riller and Jarrell Brantley are the two main focal points offensively. And when those guys are scoring and when they're on, I think they are a very, very difficult team oh, yeah. to beat on, yeah. on any level. I, I don't want the balanced scoring. I want those two guys to lead the way and then have other guys chip in when, when necessary. I think that's when they're at their best. And I'm sure Coach Grant would disagree with me, but that, that's my feeling. That's my take on this team. But I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. No, I mean, I mean the Towson game. That, that's exactly what happened in the Towson game. They showed up, and the the recap of that game was College of Charleston has Grant Riller and Jarrell Brantley, and Towson does not. And that that's the difference when you have two all-CA guys who can just – one dominates in the first half, one dominates in the second. Well, the VCU coach after the game just, just – I mean, he was beside – he was exasperated about, you know, we just couldn't stop those guys. And, and he goes, we tried everything we could to stop those two, and we just didn't get it done. And that and VCU's turned out to be a, a pretty good team in the A10 and a pretty good defensive team. And so, I mean, that just shows you the talent level that that, that those two kids have. And you know, the uh, the a couple of NBA scouts were there uh, for the Drexel game from the Oklahoma Thunder. And um, you know, I, he was looking more, I think, at Jarrell as a stretch four in the NBA or a guy who could maybe be that uh, be that stretch four for a team uh, because of the way the NBA just is now. And uh, I think he liked what he saw. It was, it was funny. He was he didn't ask me anything about their basketball ability. But he asked me what kind of people they were. That, that that's always kind of interesting. Oh, they're off the charts there, though. Yeah, I know. Good kids. Uh, you know, he's just what do they like to deal with? You know, how are they after wins? How are they after losses? And you know, uh, you know, because obviously the NBA, th- those scouts, you know, they know more about basketball than I do. Um, but they just want to know who they were and what they were as as human beings off the off the court which i i think a lot of kids don't understand that how important that is and how uh professional franchises value character as much as as ability well if he was if he came away impressed with jarrell after the drexel game he should go back and watch that vcu game or the the ca tournament or the auburn game last year absolutely anything else on the drexel game before we move on to delaware nope so bit of a reality check for the cougs against drexel but I agree. I think they came out in that Delaware game. They looked a lot more focused, a lot more locked in, and wasn't a perfect effort, but a double-digit win over Delaware. I'll take that any day. And Delaware's, again, another team that's really improved. They've, their, their talent level has uh, risen significantly over the last uh, two seasons. They play a little bit different brand. I mean, the, the first year that I covered the – College Charleston in the CAA, Delaware was, you know, they won it all and they just marched through the, That's right. yeah. marched through the league and, and, and went to the NCAA tournament. And, and I thought they would actually win a game. I don't, I remember who they played, but ended up losing in the first round, but given whoever they played a really good uh, tussle. And then they just, they just nosedived after that. They haven't been 
near the program or the team since then. I think there's, you're starting to see that, you know, that level of talent uh, for Delaware rise, but you're absolutely right. Uh, College of Charleston came out like they had something to prove. They hit their first nine of their first 10 shots. They're just all over them. I just thought it was going to be a 20, 25 point um, victory. And, and, you know, you got to give Delaware credit. They, they were able to respond and come back and, and make a little bit of a game. It made a little bit of a run in the second half, but to me, that game was never in doubt. I mean, they, they were, the, yeah. you were right. Uh, Kyle Charleston just locked in. It seemed like uh, when they wanted a basket, when they needed a basket, anytime Delaware got close, they, they got a couple in a row. And, and uh, you know, again, I thought uh, that was a pretty impressive win considering, you know, who Delaware had beaten <clears throat> in the CAA and, and who and how much better they were than they were a year ago. And, and they're a team, I think, that, you know, it, it can make some noise in the CAA tournament uh, if you're not careful with them. So I thought a really good and, – and Jarrell said it after the game. You know, that's the first time he thought they'd played defense for 40 minutes in, in a while. Yeah. And then I agreed with that. Yeah, so I wanted to talk to you about the defense that Delaware was playing on the Cougs. They go zone for much of the game, and Jarrell Brantley is usually the focal point of that zone because he can get the ball in the middle there, make the right pass, or, or get a shot in. And – he has a big night, 18 and 12, uh, double-double for him, much better game than he played against Drexel. And he remarked after the game that the team likes playing the zone, which was surprising to me because there's been times where it's been a challenge. Uh, and Coach Grant said the same thing. He said, we like playing the zone. We, we'll play offense against the zone. So I wanted to get uh, your take on that. How how do you think the Cougars looked against that Delaware zone? And um, what do you think of their, their post-game thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I don't agree with any of their post-game thoughts. I think... <laughs> Was gonna try. First of all, I would I would never go. I would never play a man to man because chances are you're not gonna have anybody on your team that's gonna be able to guard Grant Reeler one on one. Exactly. He's just a kid that can get to the rim as well as any basketball player I have seen in, in a long, long, long time. And people people don't realize, or I'm, I'm hoping people, the College of Charleston fans, re- are realizing. You know, he's on pace to break Andrew Gadelock's uh, school record. Yes. And he's actually ahead of it right now, where he is now. If he averages 22 points a game, if he continues to do what he's doing now and averages about 22 points a game next year, he will break the record next year. And I didn't think I'd ever see anybody uh, break Gadelock's record. Now, the, the big question for Grant is, is he going to stay around? And I and, and I have kind of asked him that a couple of times, and he's he says he's coming back, but he's kind of noncommittal about it. it. It would not shock me. I'm not saying he's going to do it. And he certainly hasn't given any indication that he would, but it would not shock me to see him go to a bigger program for his final year. And I think that'd be a shame because of all the, the legacy that he could leave here, but, I, but I've kind of digressed. So, uh, and, and then you have Jarrell Brantley also, and you can't guard him one-on-one because there's nobody in the league who's big enough or strong enough or fast enough or quick enough to guard him when he gets the ball in the paint. If you're bigger than him, he's going to be quicker than you. He's going to get to the front of the rim. If he's smaller than you, he, he might uh, do one of those step back uh, jumpers or take you outside and mm-hmm. shoot over you uh, and, or take you in the post and just out muscle you. So I think those two guys, plus somebody like Brevin Galloway, who I think is really tr- coming into his own now uh, as an outside spot up shooter. I, I just don't think you can guard them man to man. So I would guard them with a zone and take my chances and hope they had an off night. Um, you know, Marquise has got to shoot well for you. Brevin's got to shoot well for you. People forget that Jarrell Brantley's the second uh, percentage-wise. He's the second-best three-point shooter on that team. Um, yeah. He's got a funny-looking shot, but it goes in. Um, so um, I thought at times their ball movement was a little bit stagnant, 
Um, still I still have those scoring droughts. Yeah. And, um, and you know, I don't always love some of their shot selection, but I'm, I'm a little bit old school on that. I mean, I'm, I'm over 50 years old. And, you know, when I played basketball, if I didn't take a good shot, trust me, I was yanked out of the game. And there are shots that I see nowadays that I don't understand how a coach lets those kids stay in the game because uh, – <laughs> The, the Steph Currytization of, of college basketball. Exactly, exactly. So there there were some questionable um there's some questionable shot selection. Um, you know, he contend Earl Grant contends that they're a really good shooting team. I I think they're an inconsistent shooting team. Yeah, I would agree. Right now. So um and maybe that improves and hopefully that does for them and as we uh move into late January and February and obviously into March, because that's when you want to be playing your best basketball. But you know, if I was playing against them, I would definitely go zone and 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 force them to show me that they could knock down the outside shot on a consistent on a consistent basis. But I love the way when when Jarrell flashes to the uh, up to the foul line and they get him the ball. Um, yeah, he's going to have some turnovers from time to time, making some risky passes. But he has great court vision, great skill, great passing skill from Jarrell, and he can hit that you know 13, 14, 15 foot jump shot too. So. If you get him in the middle of your of the zone, he can he can be a nightmare for another team. I think he had four assists in that game, or something like that. I mean, either the either the little bounce pass to Nick Harris on the baseline, or finding one of the shooters in the corner. I can't remember. He, automatic. I said he had six in one game. That might have been against Drexel, though. But but one of the last two games, he had six assists. So yeah, certainly. Um, again, he's a very skilled guy. So, so the defense was there. Uh, another thing I, I, I thought, I thought Grant Wheeler played a lot more within the flow of the offense. Uh, not much hero ball down the stretch or, or there was some isolation stuff, but he, you know, he made a basket out of each time he did it. Uh, seven for 10 from the field, 21 points, pretty efficient night. Yeah. He's the most efficient offensive player again, that I, I probably ever covered. I mean, he just, you, you look down at the, you look down at the stat sheet and he's got, 25 points and he's taken, you know, 10 shots. And you're like, how, right. how does he do that? I don't see how he does that, but he does. Um, and he's just getting battered. I mean, guys are just, just clobbering him. Um, I, I, on 90% of his drives to the basket, I guarantee you he's fouled. And, uh, and you can mm-hmm. frustration levels getting a little bit higher for him because he, he, the guys are being physical with him. Guys are, you know, bodying him up and, and, and you know, and he's really improved his upper body strength and his lower body strength. So he's able to kind of fight off these things. But boy, uh, he, he gets beaten up a lot when he takes that ball into the lane. The two-handed flush at the end of the game was was a thing of beauty. It was. And, and I thought the technical was a little – a little that that's a referee that needs to stick his whistle in his mouth. Uh, <laughs> he, just keep it in his pocket. Maybe that's what I'm trying to say. He doesn't need to call a tech on that. Yeah, Was it over the – that's something. If a veteran referee just goes up to him after – you know, while you're running down the floor, hey – Knock it off, something like that. Yeah. I think that's appropriate. And if he does it again, absolutely you tee him up. But I thought that was a, a pretty quick tee in that situation. Yeah. Last thing from the Delaware game, I thought in terms of the Earl Grant categories, so rebounding defense, protecting the ball, much better than against Drexel. I think they out-rebound uh, Delaware. The defense was obviously great. Hold them to 5 for 27 from 3, force 14 turnovers. Um, again, just a way better effort there uh, than there was against Drexel or maybe even JMU. Yeah. And, and, and again, defense to me, and, and, and again, my high school coach told me this, that defense isn't about ability. It's about desire. And I think that the college of Charleston wanted to play good defense and they did. And that's really what it's all about. Up next for the Cougs, 
big road trip. The Northeast road trip to Hofstra and Northeastern is always a tough one, given how good those teams perpetually are year after year. And this year especially, you've got Northeastern, who's the preseason favorite. I think are they tied right now with the Cougars in the CAA? I, I got to check I the standings. Were, I think they were four and two. I think that I think that's right. So but they have the extra game. Right. So I think yes. I think uh, college is three and two at this point. Right. And then Hofstra, lone remaining undefeated team in CAA play. So very tough road trip. What do you hope to see from the Cougars, and what do you expect to see on that trip? Well, you're right. I think it, it, it's not it's not just the toughest. It's the biggest road trip for the Cougars this this season. And if you think about it, you know, you, you, last year actually I went on the trip last year. Uh, got up to Boston and, and New York as we had, had a great time. Um, two really good games. Matthews Arena. If you've never been, go. It's it's you know. It was, I've heard good things. Uh, it was built in I don't know 1908 or something, and, and it's it's not the prettiest arena or anything like that, but. You know, the Boston Celtics play there. The Boston Bruins play there. It's really, it's really just a cool place to, to go. Now Hofstra is just basically a glorified uh, high school gym. Really, nothing, nothing, nothing good I can say about the Hofstra. Shots fired. Yeah, <laughs> nothing good I can say about the Hofstra. Fans were, you know, into it and really loud last year. Great game. Both games are really good games last year. Um, and and this is really going to test the Cougars and see where they are. I mean, if you think about it. Five of their first seven games in the CA are going to be on the road. So the second yeah. half of the of the schedules, you know, it's really a front loaded schedule as far as as difficulty in road games. And I think that kind of plays into the hands of the Cougars because uh, you know down the stretch uh, they're going to be at home a lot. Uh, we're obviously it's a very tough place for an opponent to come in and beat them. And um, you know I think they're going to be able to generate some momentum as they go in the CA tournament. But these two games I think are going to tell us a lot about where they are. I still don't think. Talent-wise, there's a team in the in the in the CAA that is as talented as the College of Charleston. Um, but you know, you go on the road, and and like Earl Grants like to, likes to say, you got to be eight points better than than your opponent. And they got to play, they got to execute at a much higher level than they are. And I, I can't I can't figure out what's wrong with Northeastern. I mean, because I look in their scorebooks, I look in their score sheets, and you know, I heard there were some injuries earlier, but they got everybody, yeah. they got everybody back now. And now they do, yeah. And they were still struggling against teams and still losing teams even before they're heading into the into the CAA a portion of their schedule. So, I mean, Kusicic, I think it's how you pronounce his name. I'm I'm, I'm going to brutalize that name, but uh, you know, he's a <laughs> close enough. He's a difference maker. He he is, and if he gets hot like we saw in the CAA, you know, final. I mean, he didn't do anything in the two regular season games against College Charleston. Nothing. I mean, just nothing. And then in that game, he just he went nuts. He was just unbelievably good. And uh, and you don't have Cam Johnson that's going to be able to defend him. And I again, I think Cam and Marquise um, really gave him problems last year during the regular season. And and there's really you know Marquise is the only guy that that's there. And, and I don't know that he can go you know 38, 40 minutes playing to defend him like that. Um, they're going to have to find somebody else. I mean, except Jasper's going to I know is going to try to probably take a swing at it too, but. Yep, it's an undersized guy uh, to guarding him, and uh, that might be a little bit of a mismatch. So it'd be interesting to see what the College of Charleston does against him and and, and Northeastern. Um, you know, I know that's a game that they want to win, that they're kind of pointing for, that they were picked to to win the to win the regular season in, in the preseason poll. So I know there's going to be a lot of motivation from the College of Charleston. They they can't have these long scoring droughts like they had against Delaware and against Drexel uh, to a certain extent. And they got to execute offensively when uh, you know when they get their shots that they, they got to fall for them. I mean that's really the key 
you know, defense and rebounding is great, but uh, you're not going to win if you don't make shots too. So they got to, they got to make some shots, which they did last year and shifting gears to, to Hofstra and, you know, I the the knock I had on Hofstra last year, they didn't play much defense. And if you look at the CAA statistics, mm-hmm. they're the best defensive team in, in the CAA now. Yeah. And they're the best scoring team in the CAA right now. And to me, and no offense to Grant Rilla right now, you know, Justin Wright Foreman, he's the you know, was a player of the year last year. Player of the league right now. Yep. He's a tremendous player. Um, you know, you gotta find a way to slow that guy down. I think they have a better chance at guarding him because their 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 team is geared more towards stopping that that point guard who's you know six one, six two. They got s- several guys that can put on him to hopefully wear him down. And you know, I'm just hoping it's gonna be a Grant Riller and Justin Wright Foreman show because I think that would be that would be awesome. To watch those two guys go off. I just think they're the best guards in the league, head and shoulders above everybody else. You know, maybe one of the reasons that Grant or Jarrell you know, doesn't win this, the player of the year is because they're on the same team. And so the, I think that vote got split a lot. And I think that was a problem last year. Why, why one of them, you know, didn't win. Well, more Joe Chile and Grant Riller last year, obviously, but because I mm-hmm. votes got split for player of the year. And then Justin Wright Foreman, you know, took up the rest of the slack. So, but a great player, you know, a difficult place to play. Hofstra, their fans are really into it, but, uh, yeah, you know, again, you got to go up there and you got to execute. You got to knock down some shots and, and you got to play good defense and, and you can't have these long, you know, offensive lapses like they've had in the last couple of games. And I think that's the key for them. If you can go up there and you can steal two wins, I mean, it's against the teams that are ahead of you in the standings right now. So it, it kind of counts as double if you can give Hofstra a loss and, and get a win of your own. And same with Northeastern. So huge games for the Cougs. I, I agree. I mean, slowing down those guards, uh, it's going to fall on Galloway, on Zepp. Um, on Grant to to D up on those guys, but um, we'll see what they can do. Anything else on those two games before we uh, wrap up? No, just really looking forward to them. I mean, those are you know, the, the, I always get excited for elite uh, elite competition, and that's certainly elite competition uh, in this as far as the CAA goes. And and I think those are, I still think kind of Hofstra is a team to beat right now. Obviously, they're undefeated, so they're the team to beat right now. So you want to get you want to get you want to get both. That, obviously, that would be optimum. But I think if you beat Hofstra, and even if you lose Northeastern, you're you're still okay. You still got a chance to uh, to to win to win the league because I think Hofstra. I mean, they struggled against Elon the other night, so I I don't think that they played a lot at home too. Yeah, and they play. You're right. They play a lot at home, and when they go on the road, that it's going to be a different story. So, yeah. All right, Andrew Miller, thanks for joining me. Uh, before you get out of here, is there anything you want to plug uh, over the last couple minutes? Uh, just uh, check me out on the Post and Courier, postandcourier.com. And uh, I guess I'm on Twitter at uh, APMiller underscore at PNC. So, uh, yeah, uh, really enjoying these last couple of years. It's fun to cover a really good basketball team with good kids and, and a good coach. We're very fortunate. We could be uh, could be in the in the CAA basement. It's nice to, to follow a team that's consistently winning nowadays. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Tommy. 